Welcome into the DuckTerritory.com podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel across the way. Hi, guys. Uh, we're going to try and talk a little bit of Oregon football following Stanford's 49-7 to victory over the Ducks this past weekend. You were there. You yeah. thought personally. Yeah, I did. Uh, before we get into just kind of our breakdowns of things, just overall mood or biggest impression vibe of that loss to you? Uh, I mean, post-game, I, I thought Taggart seemed more subdued. And, and granted, I've only seen him in post-game once personally, the Washington State game, but he seemed to have a little bit more energy in that one. After this game, you could tell he was just, there was a sense of kind of, I don't know if it was shock or just disbelief or just disappointment, but he didn't he didn't have his normal pep in his step. You know, I mean, that's kind of one of the things that having covered him now for uh, I guess about six months if you count spring ball. Um, he's always kind of enters these things with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, and you could tell he was he, he kind of lacked that a little bit. And that's not to say he you know was his his answers were any different than normal. I thought he handled himself pretty well given the circumstances, but you could sense a little bit of that was not that was a little disappointing. That was a little embarrassing, and and, and he you know basically said as much and. Um, we'll get to the breakdown of, of, of the game in more specifics in a second here, but the general mood from the players as well was, was okay. That was bad. And, and I, th- I think <laughs> let's hopefully figure out something so we don't go through that again. Cause it, 49 to seven, it, to me, probably the worst offensive and defensive performance of the season. Um, really very hard to take any silver linings away from this. Um, greatly disappointing and probably a little surprising just how quickly it got out of hand. I mean, I guess we'll jump into the breakdown now. Yeah. But, I mean, our, our, our dialogue in the pre, you know, leading up was for the Oregon to have a chance in this game, the defense is going to have to shut down Stanford. And yet Stanford comes out and scores in the first three possessions. First two are just easy, just right down the field. You know, whether it's Bryce Love for 30 plus yards running, whether it's JJ Arcega Whiteside, who had a massive game in this one, someone we didn't even talk about coming in because he was like their third leading receiver and he had like 12 catches coming in. He goes for, I think, over 100 yards. But they just come down the field and score three straight times. Oregon does get a touchdown in there, but we thought for Oregon to win this game, this game had to be played in the 20s, and it was clearly not going to be played at that pace, just even from that opening drive, because Stanford moves it right down the field. How many plays was that, like five or six plays? Uh, Yeah, they went six plays, 77 yards, and two minutes and 26 seconds, uh, capping off, I think it was a Bryce Love touchdown. Yeah, and then he runs for 70 on the next... 67-yard touchdown run on, on the very next possession uh, following an Oregon three and out possession in which, uh, going into this game, you and I said that, uh, and I think pretty much it was very obvious that Oregon needed to play an A plus level offensive game. Mm-hmm. They needed to be clean. They needed to limit the turnovers, almost basically have no turnovers. Yeah. Their defense mm-hmm. needed to create turnovers and contain Bryce Love because if you can c- contain Bryce Love and make Stanford get into third and nine, third and ten situations and have to throw the ball, you're probably going to more often than not win those battles. But uh, none of that in all regards happened. I mean, the, the biggest thing for me in that that first quarter was, okay, Stanford went down and scored a touchdown. They marched right down. Six plays, 77 yards. Bryce Love packs it in. You know, okay, that's, you know, look, credit to them. They've got a Heisman caliber guy. They've got, a you know, an elite running back, uh, some big-time tall receivers, uh, maybe Oregon hadn't really seen yet before this season, uh, outside of Jalen, uh, outside of Killeen Harry at, at Arizona State. Yeah. Um, but your offense 
You knew going into this game you were going to be able to run the football. Stanford was terrible against the run. We saw that throughout mm-hmm. the entire game. You got a first down. I think Royce Truman run ran for I think eighteen yards on a, on a play to get a first down, but it came back yeah. because of a holding penalty that put Oregon behind the sticks. Behind you know, and we said going in that this team right now, the way it's constructed with with Burmeister or Taylor Allen at quarterback, the injuries and inexperience at receiver, uh, they don't have the talent to find ways to to get twelve, thirteen, fourteen yards on a consistent basis. So when you create, you shoot yourself in the foot and put yourself in a very difficult position already. You're just compounding the issue and basically guaranteeing yourself you're not going to get a first down. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm looking at my five keys for the game, which were contain Bryce Love, uh, help out your quarterback, penalties, 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 force turnovers, and win the battle up front. And I think you can safely say they kind of went 0 for 5 um, in that regard. And uh, the penalty thing. You know, and, and Taggart said he didn't have a good answer for post game, which is probably a little disconcerting. But I mean, they continue to rack up penalties nine penalties, 101 yards this game, and some of them were, were really crucial. I mean, I think two drives that ended up being that resulting in punts, um, first downs were negated by penalties on the outside by wide, wide receivers. Another drive like that on a third down was negated by um, a hold, I think, on Jake Pasarczyk. You cannot continue to make these same mistakes over and over at, uh, again, and the fact that it's starting to become kind of the same group of guys making yeah. the same type of penalties. There's a lot of uh, offensive. Jake, I hate to throw Jake Pasarczyk under the bus, but you know he's he's been flagged a ton for for penalties, whether it's holding or, or pre-snap penalties. And defensively, these young corners, you know, have been really good at times, but they've been flagged a lot for for pass interference. And we saw that, unfortunately, saw that rear its ugly head again against Stanford. At that point, the game was kind of decided when they started getting flagged for some of those, but. Um, it, you just start to wonder if this is not not just a trend, but just kind of the reality with this team. And this is going to be something that that just continues throughout the season. Over 100 penalty yards again. Uh, they did stay under the 10 penalty mark. If, if you want, <laughs> I guess if you want to be somewhat positive, they'd... I don't think there's anybody you, you can be positive about the penalties. I mean, they're uh, another game with 100 or more yards and penalty yardage, and that, that's just unacceptable. Well, they're, they're the worst team in penalties in the country, and that that that. that Mark is continuing to grow. I mean, it's it's bad, um, and you know you can say, oh, that's not the reason they lost the game, and, and maybe they wouldn't have won the game even even if they'd been a little more clean. But the reality is, you take yourself out of, and this team has to be on schedule, and that's something that we've talked about now for a few weeks now. For since Justin Herbert's been out, they really they have to gain three or four yards on first, second, and then on third down it has to be short and manageable. And and what we've seen, unfortunately, time and time again, is Oregon. Get it where they want it to be, third and short, and then convert the first down, and then there's a holding penalty. Yeah, and you, that completely de- just demoralizes drives. You've got, in terms of penalty yardage, Oregon is last in penalty yards per game in ninety four with ninety four point seven coming in. Um, that's just a couple ticks ahead of Texas Tech, and ironically, Willie Taggart's former team, uh, South Florida. Uh, both those two teams are also above ninety yards per game, and then. Um, the one that to me is just eye opening is the amount of penalties called. Uh, Oregon has 71 penalties called on them. Uh, 65 is the second highest, and that's. That team played an extra game too. Yeah, and that, and Southern Utah is, I mean, San Jose State has played an extra game. Um, and that's, that's just bad. And, you know, you, you go back and it's, like you said, I, I agree. It's starting to become, a trend where it's the same group of guys and 
to me, you can claim it's a young team. Um, you, you can claim penalties are something that young guys make mistakes from. Last season, Oregon had 99 penalties called on them. They had 75 yards per game and penalties called on them. Yeah. Uh, they were, again, one of the worst teams in the country. This number at, at Oregon is getting worse. Well, the reality is that they're averaging over 10 penalties a game. And last year, Baylor... 8.3. Last year, Baylor, it looks like, was at the bottom there with under 10. I mean, Oregon is Oregon is averaging right now more penalties than anyone has averaged in, in a couple of years. And it's something that... And, you know, we'll, we'll move on from this in a second here because I feel like we're beating the dead horse, but, <laughs> but it's just the reality is it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. And if you're a very average football team right now and you're trying to win games against teams that are above average, you're you not can't gonna, shoot you, yourself you, in the you foot. You can't win with those type of penalties. And, maybe, and, and another thing we should move on, I guess, but, um, quarterback play quite possibly. And I don't want to be too critical of Braxton Burmeister. He's a true freshman. He's put in a really tough spot and Taylor Alley probably didn't expect to be in the situation, but, the unfortunate reality it's is not that good. They're, 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 this might have been the worst just cumulative quarterback performance from an Oregon team. Since 2007 when they a, went to UCLA? For a very long time. I mean, 33 passing yards, two interceptions. At one point, they were so just un, unable to get anything going through the air that Willie Taggart basically said, scrap the passing game, and they ran it on 25 consecutive plays. 25 consecutive plays without a pass. Attempt. That's that's remarkable, and that tells you where they were at. And I mean, you go back to 2007, the UCLA game at UCLA. That was when um, Dennis Dixon was out with an injury, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, you also saw Justin. You saw Brady Leaf also go down with an injury uh, in that game, and that put Oregon at Cody Kempt and Justin Roper, and they found a way. I mean, it's it's putting lipstick on a pig here, mm-hmm. but they found a way to be a little bit better than what we saw against uh, Stanford last weekend. They, they they threw for 139 yards. You know, 45 of that came from Brady Leaf, um, but still, that that's kind of the, the last game I think we haven't seen in, you know of just bad quarterback play uh, in this game. You know, this was one of the this was probably the worst offensive game. Um, for Oregon, probably ever, because the Ducks finished just 148 yards of total offense. Yeah, okay, it's a um, but well, and, and we should we should mention. I mean, like I think Burmeister showed a lot in terms of in growth from the Washington State game and the run game. I mean, he made some really good reads. Yeah. Um, but at this level, you just can't be um, unless you're going to go to the wishbone, like or some kind of a, a run heavy dominant off formation. You know, Offensive scheme that Georgia Tech or an Air Force or a Navy runs, and Oregon's well, they've got their running backs for that. I don't think they've got the other personnel to do that. You just can't operate like that. Yeah. Well, and, and we should mention a lot of credit deserved to the Oregon running backs and the offensive line because, despite the fact that there's literally no threat of a passing game for basically the entire game, I mean, it wasn't I shouldn't say basically there was no threat of a passing attack the whole game. Yet they ran for. Bryce Freeman had one of his best games of, of the season. They ran for 276 yards, six and a half yards per carry. Um, Burmeister does find the end zone for the only rushing or for the only Oregon touchdown of the game, also the only rushing touchdown of the game, obviously. Um, I mean, but Tony Brooks changed uh, before he got knocked across out. Across the board, you're looking at it. Oregon ran the ball really well, and, and that's why. If 
the quarterbacks don't turn the ball over and put the defense in a tough situation with those two interceptions in the first half there. You just wonder if maybe the strategy works. And, 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 and all, the defense didn't do any favors either. Oregon, no. Oregon can't come from behind and win these games. But the fact of the matter is they, they ran the ball pretty well. But I don't think you can also say, though, that Oregon's defense, I thought for the most part, outside of the first maybe two drives, two maybe three drives that Stanford had the ball and they yeah. scored quick touchdowns, for the most part after that, they were they did pretty well. And... But the problem with this, you know, because you look at the after the first three drives, you know, obviously not good. You know, Stanford they ended with a fumble, they punted, they scored a touchdown, uh, they get an interception, they had another touchdown, and then they punted until and then and then things just kind of just. Well, at that point the game's over. Yeah, at that point the game cracked. It's worth mentioning that that interception there by Deion De Lenore was kind of pure. I mean, it was luck. It was a very lucky circumstance. I mean, the ball the ball's thrown perfectly to Orsiga Whiteside already caught touchdown pass, played really well. The ball bounces out of his hands. Lenore's just standing there in the end zone with the football with like, cause if they score that, that's with like 30 seconds left and there's 35 to 7. But uh, at the same time, this defense, they've made, they've made improvements. Yeah. They are better than what they were last they year. Are. But what's, where this defense lacks and what's holding them back from taking that next step and becoming truly an elite defense and a team that you can, <clears throat> I think we can say lean on to win football games is the lack of depth. They don't have, you know, They've got injuries up front at linebacker. Um, we don't have, we haven't seen yet the the depth at linebacker, the depth uh, in the secondary. I think you know, you're having to rotate the same two or three guys in and out every possession. Um, defensively along the line, I, I think you've got three really good starters. Maybe Scott Pagano is, is going to become that fourth good defensive lineman. Um, and then you've got a couple guys who ha- are hit or miss along the D-line. Um, I, they don't have the depth yet to be that type of a team where we're going to win a football game and it's going to be 24 to 10 or, or it's going to be a 17 to 14 victory. Mm-hmm. You know, Oregon doesn't have that. And so when, when they, the defense needs the offense to be able to move the ball. And we saw in this game that, you know, look, they gave their best. If you asked Stanford, if you, if you said, Hey, we need to keep Stanford under, under 20, Four points and we can win this game. They probably could have done that, but they they broke because they were out there for almost thirty minutes or forty minutes of, of game time uh, against Oregon, against Stanford. The offense was just so inept at being able to move the football. I think you know Oregon looked at you look at it and Oregon only had twelve first downs, mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know sometimes mm-hmm. that can be a misleading stat where it's oh well. They had just huge chunk plays and, and, and got you know ate up a whole bunch of yards and scored really quick touchdowns. That didn't happen. You know, Oregon just couldn't move the ball. And when it doesn't matter if, if you're Oregon or if you're Alabama, if your defense is out there for almost forty minutes in the in the game, you're you're going to crack eventually. And, that, and it happened. We'll go to Facebook here really quick. Uh, we do have a couple of people calling for people's jobs. I don't think that that that's gotten to that Yeesh, point yet. No. Um, Let's, let's, there's a couple questions about lack of discipline. Well, I mean, I mean, I think let's address that real okay. quick. I think that's because you need to just check your, your, your expectations then at, at the door here because going into this season, fully healthy, understanding that Oregon had depth concerns at quarterback, at tight end, at linebacker, linebacker, at receiver, and more in terms of experience, talent, uh, yeah. t- and talent, you know, depth in terms of taller receivers. You know, you you probably felt at best Oregon's 
probably eight and four, nine and three, maybe at best. But Oregon lost their most important player in Justin Herbert. We we said going in, huge question marks at quarterback behind him. Mm-hmm. Do they have a guy that's capable of playing? That was kind of the big mystery. The answer, the answer is no. no. Mm-hmm. That's a huge loss for this team. That's something Taggart. You, you can't blame a coaching staff for what they inherited the year before. You know, the, you know, Burmeister was Taggart's guy, sure, but th- three weeks ago, Burmeister was slated to redshirt, and we're right. seeing why. You know, there's not four-star quarterbacks or instant impact quarterbacks just growing on trees that you can go and pick up and bring in in the off in one off season. Uh, in December, no less. Um, linebacker. Guys have gotten hurt. You, you've had two straight games where your starting line, inside linebacker next to Troy Dye has, has gotten knocked out. One, uh, for the year. The other one could, could potentially be for the year. And again, depth issues. You, you, you're playing true freshman Samson New, but look, six games in, it was clear he was destined to redshirt. He was a guy that, you know, probably Oregon identified saying we like him, but he's not ready to play this season. He's having to play, even though he wasn't ready. You know, this, I don't understand what, what people are saying of jo- people should lose their jobs because look at the hand that you were dealt. The best possible case scenario was eight and four, nine and three, maybe. And everything bad that could happen has basically happened for Oregon. And, and, and you're still two games away from getting a bull game. Andres QH here, who I believe I went to elementary school with, by the way, uh, asks if we think we expect to see maybe a wildcat type of situation here. And, and I mean, why not? I mean, honestly, I, I mean, it sounds ludicrous at this level, um, but you wonder if they do start to move in the direct. I mean, the passing game is not going is not there at all, right? I mean, and, and what's the difference between having maybe if Dimitri Birch is a more is a better runner than Braxton Burmester, which I'm not even sure he is. Braxton Burmester is actually a pretty good runner, but. Why not put Royce Freeman back there and have him take the snaps and have Tony? I don't Brooks, think that would be a, Tony Brooks James or somebody next to him. Or I would put Charles Nelson back there. We've seen it. He did it. They did it in the past. It didn't I work mean, pretty well, but they've done it. I mean, Nelson. I mean, if you're gonna go Wildcat, and you know, maybe maybe you kind of create a package when you're in that situation where you need to run the ball twenty straight, twenty five straight times like they did against Stanford. Maybe you kind of create a package in that way because Charles Nelson being on the outside and you running the ball 25 straight plays is just a waste. He's, yeah. he, he, he doesn't need to be out there for that. And he's probably one of your three or four best offensive players. So maybe, maybe you get creative. Maybe you throw Nelson at, at Wildcat. And, 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 I don't know. And, and, and maybe it's not for the entire game, but maybe you do go with a series where you mess around with some different options out there because it's pretty clear at this point. And, at this point, it's why not try something and see if it works? Because it's pretty clear, I think, from what we've seen at the quarterback position that the two guys they put out there, Braxton Burmeister and Taylor Alley, just are not equipped to get it done at this level. And, yep. you know, uh, they, they went with Burmeister for the majority of last game. Taggart said that he wanted to see if he could find a spark in Taylor Alley. Guess what? He was almost worse, if that was possible. Well, he skipped a pass. He skipped a pass. And he threw one that was... Breland was wide open. And, you know, what I wrote about after the game was... Frustration is starting to show on this team, and, and can they can they hold together and stick together and, until Herbert comes back from his injury? Because after that <laughs> pass, Allie was Herbert uh, Breland was wide open, mm-hmm. and Allie skipped a pass to him. I mean, completely just misfired, terrible throw, yeah. and Breland was very visibly upset. He was frustrated. Maybe it was the whole game. I don't know if it was just that one play. Right. But it was very clear he was upset at how wide open he was. And and look, these guys, 
four weeks ago, we're all thinking, look, we're all probably going to get four or five touchdown passes, six touchdown passes a game uh, this season. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be around 600 yards receiving. I don't know if they get as a team to 2,000 passing yards. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've seen their roles completely diminish. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and one thing before we jump back, there's a lot more questions here, and we'll get to your guys' questions here. Um, but you kind of mentioned the frustration, and I think you do start to wonder about where this team is at mentally. I'm not sure if right now is the question, but if say they lose to UCLA, say Herbert doesn't come back for Utah, they lose that game. Even if Herbert comes back for Washington, that's probably going to be really tough sledding, even if, especially if it's Herbert's first game back. If they lose what could amount to basically be, what, five straight games now? Where, where's their head for those last two games, even if those are against weaker opponents? Yeah. And, and you just start to wonder if this team, you don't want to say quits, but starts really questioning itself and, and lacks all confidence. And that's where you really run into issues with the team. And that's where things start to snowball, which I think you're hoping won't happen. But you, you start to wonder about, here we are. We can't do anything offensively. The defense is trying really hard, making some good plays. doesn't seem to matter. You give the ball to the offense and, and it, with a chance to win. You just and three away. and outs. And you just wonder if that where this team becomes mentally. And I don't I don't know if it's quite yet time to start asking those questions, but it certainly feels like pretty soon, if this continues to be a trend of they go out there, they score one offensive touchdown, they lose by three or four touchdowns or more. Last week it was six. Do they just start to kind of go, all right, I guess this is just how we play, and, I mean, and look, they, just, they lose all the rest of the game. It's it's easy to to sit there and say the team is is bonded and chemistry is way better, and everyone's bought in when you're winning. Mm-hmm. Winning solves everything. Right. As long as you're winning, everyone's happy. Um, it's what happens when the losses come, and this is what I wrote about uh, on DuckTerritory.com after the loss uh, Sunday morning was that. You know, what happens when you face adversity? What happens when you face continued adversity? Yeah. Uh, Oregon has now lost two straight games. They've been blown out in both games. Their offense has been terrible. They've lost three of their last four uh, games. And Willie Taggart and his coaching staff are being paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this is in no way am I saying that their jobs are on the line. But they're going to make this year's paycheck in the next four weeks. Because their goal now, in my opinion, has shifted from X's and O's to Jimmys and Joes. Mm-hmm. Manage, you know, really, Mario Crystal Ball this year has said multiple times, football is easy, people are hard. And keeping this football team motivated, keeping this football team confident, and keeping this football team tied together as they weather the, they're in the eye of the hurricane right now, uh, of making sure that they don't fall apart through the meat of their schedule, and that they emerge, like you said, when they get to that bye week after the Washington game, still upbeat, still you know, still confident in themselves when they can go into a game against Arizona and a game against Oregon State where their bulk possibility is probably going to be on the line in those two games. You've got to be confident. You've got to be you know, tied as, as you've ever been as a team going into those games. Maybe pull off an upset this week. Maybe you pull off an upset at home against Utah next week. I don't know. But your two best chances of getting to a bowl game uh, end of the season against Utah, against Arizona and Oregon State at home, and you've got to be col- a collective unit going into those games. And, and before we jump to the question, it's worth mentioning that Arizona's actually looked pretty yeah, good. Yeah, they're better than we were expecting. Khalil Tate has been unbelievable running the football. Um, 
Steven Ebers, special teams has not been close to what we've been accustomed to seeing. Any thoughts on guys on kickoffs and, and punt returns? Um, outside of Tony Brooks James housing that season opening kickoff return, I agree that there really hasn't been a lot of dynamic plays in the return game. I think part of that is um, due to Charles Nelson's injury. He's probably the most dynamic punt returner they have. They put Dylan Mitchell back there, and, and Raymond Woody basically told us that his goal is to catch the football yeah. and, and gain five yards. I mean, they're not he's not out there expecting to take it to the house. Not that he's not capable of it, but they're trying to keep it easy because they understand how quickly a game can turn um, when there's a muffed punt or when the guy gets stripped on the punt return. So, um, I mean, what, what are their averages right now? Look, I mean, you've, you've pulled it up, Matt. Yeah, Mitchell's averaging 11 yards a return. That's not too bad. Charles Nelson's... You know, he has six on the year. Mitchell has five, so they're basically similar. Nelson has 4.3 yards per return, which is terrible. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Red has, has one return for um, one yard. Uh, that does not take into account f- um, fair catches. Fair catches right. um, and then kickoff returns. Pembroke James has, has been a warrior there. 13 kickoff returns for 340 yards. He's averaging 26 yards a carry a return. That's good, but if you subtract that 100 yard kickoff return, right. that average it's is 12 to worse. it's it, it goes down to 12 to uh, 240, which is 20. Yeah, so he's you know kind of a bump. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, behind him, can I been was been decent. For 100, you know, six carry returns for 17 and a half yards. Uh, the but Griffin I, brothers each have one, and, and ironically enough, Hunter Campmore has one as well. Oh, yeah, we, we expected that coming. That was in our preseason, <laughs> pre-season preview. We talked about Hunter Campmore on the conference. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if it answers the questions, but I would but I, I would say that's, that's something that's probably hasn't been discussed much because there's a lot of other issues with this team. There's a lot of injuries but on the, the special but, teams, but, too. But the reality is the, the returning game has not been probably – I mean, Oregon has been blessed with some fantastic return guys over the years. I mean, guys that, that are doing it now at the professional level, like DeAnthony Thomas um, – and Kenyon Barner, Kenyon Barner, you know, uh, you know, Michael James did return punts. Brown Addison is a great returner. I don't think he's playing in the NFL, but they've had a lot of good guys. I don't think they have those guys in this team right now. Um, let's see here. Is isn't Ty Griffin a better quarterback option than their guys? I mean, the reality is he's been playing cornerback for the last two three and a half years, years yeah. three years. So um, it's hard to say he's going to be better than anyone playing right now. With I mean, that you'd said, have to, you'd have to teach him the entire offense. He's I mean, it's, it's exactly. one thing when you pull a receiver over to play a quarterback because he's already familiar. He's already familiar yeah. with what the offense is doing. Ty Griffin hasn't ran anything offensively for two and a half years, and it wasn't under this coaching staff either. Yeah. So you'd have to teach a guy an offense in a week and get him ready for a game. That's just not possible. I, I, I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, I, I would say, you know, if, if you're looking for um, somebody to run the Wildcat, maybe you do. Put him out there and see how he does, and maybe work that into. I mean, I think you have to be as creative as you possibly can. With that said, he's not going to be Oregon's starting quarterback. Um, that that's just will not happen. Watch a week from now, he's named the starting quarterback. I mean, like <laughs> you guys can I'm gonna re- re- rewind this, and you guys can post it on the internet, and make me feel like a, a dipshit. But um, yeah, he he's I don't think a logistic option. But and, and they have guys in the op- on, on the team that have played quarterback. I don't think he's somebody that really makes a lot of sense. Um, Jordan Fisher here asked a question that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering. Should we be worried about losing recruits based on the losses we've had and um, and will likely have for, for the rest of the season? Look, Oregon has four wins. They had four wins last year. They've got two more games that we feel like they can get victories, and that's also the kind of the timeline of when Justin Herbert gets back. 
you win one more game, you've you've shown improvement from last year. Um, from a win loss department, uh, you you can statistically see the defense is a lot better. Um, you can see when a healthy the offense is is pretty pro- proficient with what they've been able to do. Yeah. Um, those are kind of built in crutches for you for as a staff to go to these recruits and say when they come back to you and say why aren't you winning games? Well, it's hey look, we, we've had injuries happen, you know. But on top of that, more importantly, I mean. You've got guys like, you know, at, at, at multiple spots on this football team that I feel like you can go in and, and, and say to like a Warren Thompson, Oregon's second highest rated recruit, a receiver, four star prospect, six three. Look, we don't have physical receivers. We don't have tall receivers that can make plays over the middle, make, you know, fade routes in the end zone. You can go to Florida State, but they're struggling too. You know, they've only got one win, two wins on the year. Um, or you can come to the school you're committed to, and you're probably going to play right away. You're yeah. probably going to start at Oregon. You're not going to do that at Florida State. You can, you can say to Trayshawn Harrison, a four-star athlete that's 6'2", we need size at receiver. You're you're coming to Oregon to play receiver. You're going to play. Steve Stevens and, and Javon Holland, two of Oregon's – Stevens is Oregon's top commit. Holland is, is their third best commit. You, you can go to them and say, look, Nick Pickett, he's got his spot locked down at, at, at safety – but Tyree Robinson's a senior. Matrell McGraw, Brady Breeze, Billy Gibson. None of those three guys have really looked all that impressive. Yeah. There's one starting spot available. We still need backups for two spots. We've shown that we've, we're able to play true freshmen. You know, look, you're going to play. Malcolm Lamar, Oregon's star defensive line commit from Florida as well, high school teammates of, of, of uh, Warren Thompson. It To me, it's, it's pretty simple. Look at Jalen Jelks and how he's performing. We, Henry Mondu, how he's performing. Oh, Mondu's gone after this season. You're probably going to start week one. And I think the other reality is that a lot of this is relationship built. And yes. Willie Taggart has, especially with these Florida guys, these are guys he's known since they were 13, 14 years yep. old. They know him. They know what he stands for. I don't expect those guys to jump on, jump, jump ship because they're aware of who he is and what they're building. Um, now, if if Oregon gets blown out of every game, let's 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 be real here. There's going to be decommitment. Some guys are going to back off, mm-hmm. and it'll probably be a guy. The farther you get away from the school, the more likelihood you know a guy decommits. Like I would think, you know, you you'd have to scroll down the list here to the very bottom. Um, but two guys, I I would think who three guys who as I keep going up. The names kind of keep coming up more and yeah. more. There's probably four guys. Andrew Johnson, an outside linebacker from Georgia. Uh, Jonathan King, a defensive end from Tampa Bay in Florida. Justin Johnson, an offensive tackle from Pennsylvania. And Muhammad Diallo, a junior college defensive tackle. Those four guys, as, as look, as, 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 if Oregon continues to lose and lose in the way that they have, I, I mean, I'm totally speculating here. Yeah, but I think so. I, I wouldn't be surprised if those are the four guys that really get a lot of interest because those are four guys who committed to Oregon early in the process. And while they're all rated three-star prospects, their offer sheets are getting better and better as the year goes on and as they're playing. You know, Muhammad Diallo landed an offer from Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, the last couple of weeks at, at the junior college level. Uh, Justin Johnson is an offensive tackle, offensive guard prospect that plays in Pennsylvania and, and it's not necessarily – um, in Philadelphia, it's not necessarily known to be a recruiting hotbed, and 
his high school teammate just got offered by Alabama, and he's he's hearing from Alabama. You know, there's there's a couple guys on this list. Yeah, you know, maybe they committed early because they felt like Oregon's this up and coming program. They're up and coming prospects, but if Oregon's season slips a little bit, their offer sheets have gotten certainly better since their commitment. Maybe they decide to open things up, but. Like you said, everything is relationship-based, and for the most part, I don't think you can knock Tiger and his staff's recruiting because they've they've done a really, really good job. Absolutely, and I think if you, like I said, it is a lot of this is relationship-based. You know, I mean, Justin Johnson is a guy that told me he committed largely because of his relationship with Mario Cristobal. I think you run into possibility of decommitments if these coaches are not retained for whatever reason. I don't think they're going to fire anybody, but if, if somebody takes a job somewhere else. Then the odds go up. I, I don't think for most of these kids, it's not entirely based upon how the results on the field are. They look at they look at it as you know playing time and relationships with coaches and the that they like the school. And I I don't think they've seen anything this season that's going to deter them from from those decisions. To kind of wrap up that that thought there, uh, we don't have any other questions on Facebook, and we've been going for thirty minutes, which is about our goal. I think it's time to wrap up, Matt. Yeah, you know I I think closing. Oregon sits now at four and three. They're, you know, they've got a tough uh, home road game this weekend at UCLA, but I think it's very winnable. We'll, we'll break that game down further. Um, and it, it's a greater detail, uh, Wednesday and we'll release the podcast, uh, Thursday morning. Um, and then, you know, basketball's right around the corner. So, you know, a couple more weeks away from two weeks actually, uh, Oregon opens up their exhibition season uh, against uh, NCU, Northwest Christian College, coached by former Oregon Duck Luke Jackson. So uh, we'll start getting into some more basketball coverage. And um, and as always, if, if you're curious where you can listen to these podcasts, you can go on to iTunes, just search for Duck Territory. Uh, you can go on Facebook and listen to them live while we're recording. You just got to go to facebook.com slash Oregon247, uh, and you'll get notifications of when we go live like we're doing today. Um, and you can, you can hop in or you can, you can listen to us on duckterritory.com. Um, we, we post the podcast there. So again, much appreciated of, of everyone listening. We've had record numbers the last couple of podcasts, kind of blown away how, how quickly this is growing and, and the, the number of downloads are going up and up each week, um, despite Oregon's season. And that, you know, I think that's a good thing. Um, so if you've got, if you've got questions and, and whatnot and we missed it, go ahead and drop them in on duckterritory.com and we'll, we'll get to those, uh, relatively soon. Until we talk to you uh, later this week for a podcast, uh, thanks for listening, guys. See you guys.